0: Today, if you would like to follow along and you would like to have some notes to fill in or just look on, on your phone, you can find that in the Version Bible app. You can also find the, the notes at the front and the back that you can fill in to follow along with the notes because uh, today I want you to get a message that will impact your life and that will really, uh, you can carry with you because today we're going to be talking about some things that I think changes everything. And... Uh, you know, there's, there's one thing that's very interesting about Jesus. Jesus is one of the most controversial figures that's ever lived in history. Some people have said Jesus isn't real, but yet there is absolute truth and fact that Jesus actually existed. And many people will assent to the fact now that Jesus really lived and Jesus really walked on the earth. He was a real person. But yet there are a lot of people who still have a little bit of a doubt on this whole Jesus thing and this whole Christian thing, is it really The true thing. Is it something that that can really make a difference? But here's the issue. The reason people doubt Jesus is because you and I... Hold on. This is a word from the Lord. The reason people doubt Jesus is because you and I don't wear Him well. Some of us don't wear Jesus in the way Jesus needs to be worn. And so people will look at us and say, Well, Jesus isn't the one that they say He is. And it's because of our witness. But I don't want you to measure Jesus by me today. I don't want you to measure Jesus by some experience you've had in church. I don't want you to measure Jesus by simply what you have been told by a a professor or a teacher or a neighbor or a friend or someone even in your home. I don't want you to even go by what your mama said. I want us to go by what the Bible says. Today we come to a place in our nation that needs hope. We come to a place in our nation that needs healing. And I'm here to declare today it can be sought after in many different ways, but it's only going to be through Jesus. That sounds like a Christian colloquialism, but I'm here to tell you that the essence of Christ changes everything. But does Jesus really matter? Does Jesus Is there evidence that would suggest that he is significant, that he really does make a difference? I would venture to say yes. I'm not sure if you are aware of this, but there's a thing called probabilities. Many of you have probably heard of probabilities, and you have heard of one in so many, and that's the probability something will take place and happen. The probability of dying in a car accident, if you get into a car, the probability is 1 in 5,000. But yet we all get into a car, do we not? So let me illustrate this today. I want you to be able to see this visually. Jesus did a good job illustrating things. So 1 in 5,000 is basically 1... Or 5 times 10 to the third power. Those of you who are mathematicians, you can understand this. It basically means there's one, two, three zeros following the number 5. 1 in 5,000, you got that? That's the probability of dying in a car accident. Some of you are going, yep, I'm not getting in my car going home. Can I fly? Can someone take me? Can I walk home or something? Well, how about... How about this? Dying in a plane crash. If you don't want to take your car home, maybe you might want to take a plane. If you want to take a plane, then it's one in five million of a chance if you get onto an airplane that you could die in a plane crash, according to Forbes magazine. An MIT professor figured this out. If you get on an airplane, you have one in a five million chance of dying. Five million. That'd be five times ten to the sixth power. That's six zeros. So one million is how many zeros? Oh, very good. You guys are following right along with this. This is really, really good. I got a smart group here today. How about Your chances of being struck by lightning. Did you know that the number one weather-related fatality in 2019 was being struck by lightning? Nine out of ten people do not die from it. They usually have severe problems because of it. But your chances of getting struck by lightning. Get a number in your head. One in 1.22 million. So that's one in a million shot, right? It's a one in a million shot. So that would be one times ten to the what? What power? One, two, three, four, five, six. You're absolutely right. To be struck by lightning is one times ten to the sixth power. But as we begin to think about this, I want us to expand our ideas for a moment. Many of you may have played the lottery. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? That's not what this sermon is about. We're not going to go into the lottery or anything about the lottery. But here is, on January the 21st of this year, your chances of winning the mega-million jackpot on January the 21st was 1 in 302.5 million. Now, I would love to ask and see who actually played the lottery, because obviously you thought you had a chance. Now, that would be 302 times 10 to the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th power. 302 million. 1 in 302 million. I got news for you. If I found a lottery ticket laying on the ground, my chances are going to go up extremely, because I've never bought a lottery ticket my chances of winning is going to have to be God. You're going to have to bring that lottery ticket in, into my life somewhere. But one in three three hundred and 302.5 million, but yet people went and invested money to try to win the lottery. Where am I going with this? There was a professor of mathematics and astronomy named Peter W. Stoner. And he made the statement of what are the chances and the odds that eight prophecies of Jesus Christ would have come to pass just eight the sheer chance is 1 times 10 to the 36912 15 17 okay I can count, ladies and gentlemen. I went to Dahlonega and I can count to 17 without taking my shoes off. Only, (laughs) I'm not sure which is more amazing, that I could count 17 zeros or (laughs) the prophecies. Eight prophecies of Jesus coming true. One times 10 to the 17th power. That's quite remarkable for eight. That's like almost Impossible. How about 16? 16 prophecies of Jesus coming true in the New Testament. 1 times 10 to the 28th power. Are you kidding me? 1 times 10 to the 20. That's 28 zeros. Anybody know what that number is called? I call it wow. Now, If only 48 prophecies of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament actually came true. If only 48. The odds of that are staggering. As a matter of fact, you remember how this is one in a million. Right? Six zeros. One, two, three, four, five, six. 48 prophecies. Now, there's 351 in the Old Testament, and all of them came to pass. And, and, and we're just talking about 48. A doctor put together these numbers 48 prophecies coming to pass. One times 10, 48 prophecies. One times ten to the one hundred and fifty-seventh power. Hold on, one got away. We have our minds blown at one in a million shots. But yet we'll get on a plane, we'll get in a car, we'll buy a lottery ticket, even though it seems impossible. But when it comes to the prophecies of Jesus Christ, let me tell you about this number. Impossible. Must be by the hands of God. As a matter of fact, think of this. If you took a silver dollar and stacked it two feet high and covered the entire state of Texas and you took one silver dollar and you marked a red mark on it and it was just randomly put somewhere in the state of Texas, two feet deep, a silver dollar. There's one silver dollar with a red mark on it. You blindfold a man and you say, You got one shot to go find the silver dollar. And that blind man would walk out there and pick up that silver dollar. That is the shot of Jesus fulfilling 48 prophecies from the Old Testament. To say that Jesus is not who He says He is makes it an impossible statement because math backs it up. The impossibilities of who He could be was laid out in the prophecies hundreds of years earlier, but yet every single one of them, 351, came to pass. I declare to you, Jesus is exactly who He says He is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. He is the redemption that was paid for my sin. But I want us to dive in today and look a little closer. Because Professor Stoner said, Any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. But yet we step back and we say, well, this Jesus thing, it's not real. There's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different truths. Why really Jesus? There are 351 prophecies that have been fulfilled. Every one of them. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9 is one of those in which it says, He... "...was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth." Do you understand? There's one, two, three, four prophecies just in that verse, and every single one of them came to pass. Jesus is real. And what He said must be real for someone to be able to do that. I want us to dive into this and see how this this actual verse is fulfilled. So in Mark chapter 15 today, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 42. That's kind of where we're going to look at for a while. There is a man in this story. A man that we're going to dive into and we're going going to kind of look at his life and see how we may be similar to him. Let's begin reading and Mark chapter 15, verse 42. Jesus has been on the cross. Jesus has said His last words and Jesus has died. Verse 42. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came A prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining from this, from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were looking on to see where he was laid. Now here's some things that I want you to understand about this man by the name of Joseph. Arimathea. Joseph, according to Scripture, according to Matthew chapter 27, you can write this one down on on the side of your page. This isn't part of the notes. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. Matthew chapter 27, the, the writer lets us know he was very rich. He wasn't lacking, he had money. Joseph of Arimathea. In Luke chapter 23, verse 51, we also learn that he did not consent to the plan the council had to kill Jesus. So he was a man that had some kind of honor, but I want you to notice that also in the the book of John, it says that Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple. The first thing I want you to write down in your notes that's very important about this man is that he was a secret disciple. Let me ask, can that be said of you? That you are a secret disciple of Jesus? That if you were put on examination, yeah, they may say, well, you go to church occasionally, but it's not really part of your life. Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple of Jesus. And in John nineteen twenty, we find that there was someone else who was on the council with him who was part of getting Jesus' body. Maybe you've heard of this man. His name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus was on the council. He was part of that group that said, Let's crucify him. Let's, let's falsely accuse him. Let's get rid of this man named Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When I read Isaiah 53 9, it says he he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Joseph of Arimathea was what? Rich. He was a secret disciple of Jesus, he was part of the council, he was a prominent member in the society. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus held something in common. We believe in Jesus. We think He's he's something. But we're going to keep it quiet. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if they find out that we're following Jesus, we may be next. I will no longer have my wealth, my position, I'll no longer have my friends. I will no longer be able to sit on the council. I will no longer be able to provide for my family. If I stand up and I say I'm a follower of Jesus and my life reflects it, so I must be a secret disciple. Because this man Jesus, he did amazing things. He healed people, he fed people, he did a lot of good in all of the country. But Joseph of Arimathea watched and followed the life of Jesus. Could it be that when it says in John chapter 19, verse 38, that he was a secret disciple, that he was a secret disciple because of fear? He was afraid. Maybe he had questions and he had doubt, but those questions and doubt fed the what? Fed the fear. What would become of me if they knew? Well, I want us to look very carefully here in verses 43 of chapter 15. Look in your Bible. I want you to see this. Joseph of Arimathea, now we know a little bit about him, came. He came. He was a prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage. One translation says, he took a risk. What does it mean he took a risk? He gathered up courage because he could lose everything. And up to this point, he wasn't ready to give it away. So he took a risk. He gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now when we read this, the first thing we think, Oh, that was nice. How good of him to do that. But I want to paint a picture for you. Only Hill, not far away from Pilate, Were three crosses, and on those crosses were hanging three criminals, according to the state of Rome. Those three criminals deserved death, and death is what they would receive. Criminals deserved not a burial. Criminals deserved to die and to rot on the very cross. That takes their life. If by chance they needed the cross, they would take the dead corpse off and they would just toss it amongst a bunch of other criminals. Because criminals do not deserve to have a burial. Jesus had been identified by the state of Rome as a criminal. And to ask for the body of a criminal is to identify yourself with such criminal, which makes you, therefore, an enemy of the state. When Joseph of Arimathea got the courage, took the risk, and walked in to Pilate, he was simply walking in going, I will be identified as a criminal with the state of Rome from this point forward. I am risking everything. He walks in. He asks for this body. Not only would he be seen as a criminal of the state, but who was it that desired to see this man crucified? It was the council which he sat upon. And for him to ask for the body of this man that they worked to crucify was to identify himself with this man who died on the cross. Not only would he be an enemy of the state, but now he'd be the enemy of the religious people, the leaders. In Israel, for a criminal should never receive a burial. But Joseph of Arimathea gained the courage, took the risk, and he walked in. He risked everything for Jesus' body. He risked it all. He risked the safety and security of his family of his job, of his riches, of his reputation. Everything was put on the line when he said, I would like to have the body of Jesus. The death of of Jesus impacted Joseph and Nicodemus much more than the life of Jesus. Did you hear me? Before the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea was fine to stand at a distance. Say, so, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I, I, I follow after him. Shh, don't turn away. He would watch. He would observe. But something took place. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you something took place in that man's life to risk everything.
1: What was it?
0: What was it? Psalm chapter 22 carries something very powerful. When Jesus is on the cross, He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those very words are found in Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. On the cross, Jesus is quoting Scripture. And as you read Psalm 22, verse 1, you find words like this, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me, sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him because He delights in Him. Go to the New Testament. Read about the crucifixion. They were standing around the cross saying those very words. Father, in Psalm chapter 22 it says, They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death. It goes on to say this. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. A description of crucifixion is found in Psalm 22. Hundreds and hundreds of years before crucifixion ever came to exist. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus, when he was on the cross, cared so much? He said, Look at the scriptures. And I can only imagine Joseph of Arimathea standing there and Nicodemus going, This man is dying, just like it says in the Bible, just like it says in the scriptures and the scrolls. I submit to you today. What changed Joseph of Arimathea was when he watched Jesus die like he did. Joseph of Arimathea understood because he knew the Word, he knew the Scriptures, he understood what makes the difference. The difference that was made was the reality of the death of Jesus changes me. That is why in verse 43 Joseph said, May I have the body of Jesus? Because as he watched Jesus die, he watched prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy fulfilled, and he could not deny the fact and the truth, this is the real Messiah. The death of Jesus was the death that changed Joseph and Nicodemus. Who caused them to risk everything? Why? Simply because he was a good man? Because of his life? No, because when he died on that cross, they knew that death was different. And he was willing to identify himself with the death of what the state and the religious elite called a criminal. But I'm so glad it doesn't end there. Because I'm here to tell you, if we only talked about a dead Jesus, we would be talking about no hope. We'd be talking about no truth. Because as we look in Mark chapter 15, let's let's not miss what happens here. Joseph of Arimathea risks everything, puts a linen cloth on him and puts him into a tomb. Which, by the way, it is believed, particularly by another gospel, that this was Joseph of Arimathea's actual tomb for himself. That he said, Jesus, you take, Jesus, you take my place that I should be. You take the spot that belongs to me. And he laid, and Mary. Magdalene and Mary, the other Mary, saw where he was laid. And on that Sabbath day, I have no idea what went through Joseph's mind. We don't know anything else about this Joseph of Arimathea. We don't know if if he did lose everything, if he did lose his riches. We don't know what happens to him. But we do know one thing. He risked everything. Because he understood that that death changed him. But it didn't end there. Prophecy did not stop at the death of Jesus. It went further. Verse 16, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him, anoint Jesus. Because Jesus died so quickly on Friday, they didn't get to do the full embalming. In fact, he died so fast, Pilate had to even inquire of the centurion. Is he really dead? For a man to only have been on the cross six hours and to be dead was a rare, unheard of thing. Okay, he's dead. Take him. But on that third day, verse 2, Very early on the first day of the week, That Sunday morning, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. Uh, he is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid Him, but go tell His disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see Him, just as He told you. They went out and fled from the tomb for, uh, for trembling and astonishment, it had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. Another gospel says they ran to Peter and Peter ran back and he looked. There were was, was still these questions. But I'm here to tell you today, what makes the difference? The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The death may change Joseph and he may see the prophecies. And we may, we may look at the cross and we may be excited about the cross. But I'm here to tell you, it's the resurrection that changes everything. 1 Corinthians, ladies and gentlemen, 1 Corinthians. This morning, uh, uh, Brian read these scriptures and I was like, whoo, that's some good stuff. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men, all people, most miserable. But I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if He has fulfilled every prophecy up to His last breath on the cross, He's fulfilled the prophecy of raising again. He is alive. How How do I know He's alive? He lives right here, ladies and gentlemen. I know where my Jesus is. He dwells within my heart. So skeptics will say, you're a religious fanatic and a religious nut. You place your hope on something you cannot see. Hallelujah, I do. It is a man who, is, who died on a cross and rose from the dead. I'd rather have my hope in Jesus than Washington any day of the week. I'd rather have my hope in Jesus than my job, than, than, than the people I know. Jesus is the real hope. He's the one that's fulfilled all the... three hundred and fifty. This is only 48, ladies and gentlemen. 1 times 10 to the 157th power. 157 zeros, but yet He fulfilled 351. You cannot say Jesus is not who He says He is. To say that makes you a fool to absolutely deny the reality that this impossibility became possible. But you have to deal with it. Andrew Murray said, a dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. I want you to reflect on Joseph of Arimathea just for a moment. Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple, who risked everything to ask for the body of Jesus, was changed on that Friday. I want you to take just a moment, remove any distractions you have, put your pens down, your phones, everything. I want you to watch just for a moment. What if Joseph of Arimathea could stand right here on this stage? What if he could say something to you at this very moment? What if he could speak? Get ready, because we're going to play it. We're going to put it live right here, right now. Let's watch on the screen as we play this.
1: My name is Joseph. I come from the Judean town of Arimathea. I was there on the night that the rabbi, the one named Jesus, was arrested and brought to trial. I'm a member of the Sanhedrin council and I heard the full account. He arrived in our world with an uncommon entrance, born of a virgin, born in a manger. He was mostly a stranger to us until he was announced by John the Baptist, welcomed as the long-awaited Messiah now here, the one whom Moses and the prophets had been writing about for the last 4,000 years. He's not like other rabbis. He's made crippled men walk. He's made blind women see. He's made deaf children hear. He's made lepers clean. He has fed thousands of people on a hillside with only five loaves of bread and two fish. I don't understand this. But now I've heard the full account of this man named Jesus. He's been teaching in our temples. He's dined with vagabonds and sinners. A woman washed his feet with her tears and he had the audacity to forgive her. His deeds are as exceptional as his words. When our friend Lazarus had died, Jesus went to his grave, told him to come out, and out. I've seen Lazarus myself. I've seen him alive. What is the charge against this man? Healing on the Sabbath? What sacred scripture? What law has he broken? Where is the evidence, the offense? Shall we crucify a man with no sin? So I dissented from the decision, as did my friend Nicodemus. But the Sanhedrin took him to Pilate anyway. They tortured him, and then they murdered him on a cross. My name is Joseph of Arimathea, and none of it seems right to me. So after he was dead, we took down the body and wrapped it in linens, myself and Nicodemus, and some of the rabbi's disciples who were women. I refused to bury him like a criminal. He had no tomb, so I offered up my own. We took him to the garden, we put him in the cave, and we sealed it with a stone, and the entire time I wondered and I feared the truth of everything this Jesus had claimed, that that this was not just a man in a tomb, it was God in my grave. That was on a Friday. But then, Sunday, the word traveled to me quickly. Some of the women had gone to the garden, and the Roman soldiers who had been sent to guard the grave were struck down. The stone was rolled away, the body was gone, and there was only one set of footprints on the ground. Then came the reports, Jesus meeting with Simon Peter, Jesus meeting with Mary Magdalene jesus meeting with the disciples and eating breakfast on the shore jesus meeting with two men on the road to emmaus and then to his brother james and then to hundreds and hundreds more jesus was dead i saw this fear the water the blood but now he's living breathing speaking eating proving that he is who he said he was yeah. I buried him myself. The cross and he is trampled over death. my name is Joseph of Arimathea and this is the full account of what I've seen Jesus died was buried and then he rose again and now my grave is empty
0: My grave may hold my body one day, but my grave is going to be empty. When Jesus was on the cross, He said it is finished. He used a term that means paid in full, ladies and gentlemen. It means paid in full. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for my sins. But when He rose from the grave, He changed everything by conquering death, hell, and the grave. I have hope today because today is not the end. The death does not end it. The resurrection doesn't end it because praise be to God, I shall see Him face to face one day. I shall bow at His feet and say, Jesus, thank You for all You've done for me. So here's what you must do today. You must know the certainty that God has made Jesus the end sir. And I'm not here to, to water this down. I'm here to tell you without Jesus, you will not go to heaven. There's no other way. It's not through Allah. It's not through Buddha. It's not going to be through some other religion. It's not going to be through being Baptist, Methodist, non-denominational. It's not going to be through going to Free Chapel or Chicopee. It's going to only be through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and His resurrection that you'll be able to be in heaven. That's the only way. Jesus said that is the truth. That is the life. He said, I am the way. So today, you need to know for certain that there is mathematically proof that Jesus must be who He says He was as the Son of God, as the man who came to die for your sins so that you may know that your grave will stand empty and you shall be with that risen man. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Today, maybe maybe you've been a secret disciple. I'll get to you in a moment. But maybe today you've scoffed, you've laughed. you said it's impossible, it's just a bunch of... Malarkey, it's baloney, you've used language that just dismisses Jesus, but it does not change the fact of the truth that Jesus is who He says He is. And if He is who He says He is, take this as a probability, then what He has said must be true. And if that is the case, what will you do with Jesus? Will you simply dismiss Him? Or will you accept Him in faith? Today... If you have not accepted Jesus Christ or maybe you've said things like, well, I hope I'll be okay. I don't know what's going to happen, but I've done the best I can. I'm not a bad person. I've done good things. Can I tell you something? All of that will send you to hell. But the one thing that will send you to heaven is Jesus. You don't have to try to do it on your own. He's not dead on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He paid everything. All you have to do is surrender and ask Him to forgive you. So simply this. Would you right now just repeat this after me? If you feel God leading you and you want this relationship, you want to know for certain that if you died before you got home and the odds fell upon you to breathe your last, that you'd be in the presence of Jesus. Then repeat this after me. Dear God, I have messed up. Forgive me and take over my life. Ladies and gentlemen, that makes you a brand new creation in Christ. Pastor, you mean, is that simple? Yes, it's that simple, ladies and gentlemen. It is that simple. Jesus did all the work. So today... Will you accept Him right now? If you're watching online, there's going to be a little thing pop up saying that you, you receive Christ, you raise your hand. Here in this room, if, if, if you want to receive Christ today and know for certain that you are going to heaven, or you just prayed that, would you raise your hand? And would you just say, I'm, I'm here, I'm doing it, I'm going to follow Jesus. How about this? How about those of you that are secret disciples? those who haven't taken Jesus seriously that He'll be okay with it. Maybe today you feel like you need to renew your commitment. and You need to say, Jesus, you are who you say you are and I need to be serious about it. Would you make that commitment right now? Would you just pray to Him? He can hear you and say, God, I believe and I'm going to run after you. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the power that it contains, the proof that is there that Jesus is real. He is alive. He is the the one true living God. We do not follow Jesus just simply to be better people. We follow Jesus so that we can be righteous in Your eyes. That we don't have to live up to a standard And have the actions to make us worthy. But you sent your Son because you loved us so much. Thank you, Father, for that. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.